0: was born in February 1890 in Santa Rosa California He dropped out of high school in 1906 or uh, it seems uh, crazy to say that a long time ago in 1906 and began work as a cartoonist for his local newspaper he was really good and seven years later he moved to New York City in his early 20s and worked for a paper called the New York Globe in 1929 believe it or not Robert's work was so well known that he published a story about the Star-Spangled Banner, and it was so influential. Uh, People thought it was our national anthem, but there was no national anthem at the time because Congress had not yet adopted it as our anthem. And the story became so popular and influential that uh, the Congress fixed that problem and made it our national anthem. By the early 1940s, Robert's work was being supported by a New York publicist named William Randolph Hearst, who was really a remarkable man himself, uh, uh, well-known at the time. And he, Robert was not only doing stories uh, on the news, but he began to travel and do stories on strange and bizarre things, believe it or not, that uh, he started working with Warner Brothers and doing short videos with them. And alongside his work, he began what was called an auditorium that highlighted many of the weird things he found on his travels. He died in, 19, uh, in at age 59 and was buried in his hometown in California. And you know him, believe it or not, by his last name, Ridley, of Ridley's Believe It or Not. Actually, what was interesting about Ridley is he believed all his stories to be true. You walk through his museums and you go, that can't be true. There's no way that's true. Actually, Ridley hired people to prove that all of his stories were true. He was so convinced of their truth. He knew people didn't believe them, but he believed them. And and it was almost, it's almost like he's doing uh, a non-religious version of the Bible, right? Because there are a lot of stories in the Bible that are kind of believe it or not. I mean, you've got Noah's Ark. That's kind of hard to believe if you're not a Christian. And you've got Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Again, a little bit of a believe it or not. And then there's Jonah. Uh, That's a little hard to believe, a little far-fetched if you're not a Christian. And then, of course, one of the biggest would be the Christmas story. If you tried to publish the Christmas story without names, no one would believe it. But this story is true. And furthermore, it is at the core of our Christian faith. Now, Satan, God's enemy, our enemy, tried to claim it all to be a lie. Frankly, the couple themselves had a little difficulty believing it. The first people who questioned Jesus's birth was his mom and dad. Joseph wondered about it. Mary wondered about it. Then there was, of course, Jesus' enemies on earth. The Pharisees openly questioned whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin. And then this is why liberal theologians throughout the centuries have questioned the truth of the birth of Jesus. The Christmas story is, of all stories, a believe it or not story but it's one we must believe. And the Bible teaches it to be true. So I want you to consider with me first, the Christmas story challenges our faith in God. The setting of the story goes against our expectations. If you see in verses 18 and 19, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When his mother Mary was Engaged to Joseph before they became husband and wife, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a good, an ethical, an upright man, a just man, not willing to make of her a public spectacle, was minded, or he, he thought, well, I'll just put her away privily or secretively. We would naturally question the faithfulness of Mary. If we were in Joseph's place, I mean, just put yourself into his shoes for a moment. Here comes Mary up to him and says, listen, I've had some indication from God that I'm going to get pregnant. But I want to tell you, I am faithful to you. And Joseph would start scratching his head and go, what is that? Explain that to me again. Can you come back with that? What? And then, of course, she would explain it again and maybe again. And, and now she is starting to show and there's talk and Joseph's a good man. You, you, and she's only Joseph's fiance. Now, I understand Jewish engagements were different than the way we consider engagement today. They would consider it almost a covenant of marriage as we would consider today. It states that they were espoused, although it calls her his wife. Before they came together, Matthew adds, that little tidbit. Before they were married. So the expectation here no way Mary's pregnant. But it says she was found with child. I I love the way the original language puts this phrase. It says, in womb having. In womb having that's that's a if we actually had a literal translation and there's no translation. That's a literal translation. But if we actually had a literal translation, it it, would be reading along and it would say Mary had in womb having. But it just means, well, in the early 17th century, it meant to be found with child. In our days, we would say she's pregnant. This puts Joseph in a difficult situation, doesn't it? He's an ethically righteous man. He's a good man. It doesn't mean he he is a completely righteous man. It doesn't mean he's sinless. It just means he's an ethically upright man. In our vernacular, we would say he's a really good guy. I mean, genuinely a nice man. You would be better off having him as your friend. That's that's kind of how the Bible describes him. And, and he is a, a godly man. And he cannot marry an immoral woman. He can't marry a wicked woman. And this is why he, he's having so much difficult because his conclusion of Mary, she's been immoral, goes against his actual opinion of her, that she's a pure and chaste young woman. He, he's actually having cognitive dissonance. His mind is telling him one thing and then his mind is telling him something else. And he's going, that can't be. There's no way this goes together, and so he doesn't know what to do. And I think anybody here would just kind of understand why Joseph is feeling this way. How, how do I handle this situation? So his only recourse is what? Well, well, in their days they call it to "be put away." It just means the word is divorce. It's that's our word. Of course, this is uh, again a Jewish type engagement, a Jewish type marriage, and. And it would be considered in our day something similar to divorce. He plans to release her from the covenant of marriage that they've made together in espousement. And he's going to discharge her from that. Because he cares for her, though, he's going to do it all in secret. He's not going to let anybody know, he's not going to make a public spectacle. Do you remember what happened when the Pharisees caught the woman in adultery? You'll notice they didn't bring, drag the man before Jesus. They dragged the woman, and they, they made a public spectacle of her. Joseph's not going to do that. Joseph's actually such a good guy that he says, well, I, I can't go through with the marriage. This is heartbreaking, but I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm not going to embarrass you. And, and that is his situation. That's the setting. Of the story. It's all going against expectation. You're looking at this going. This just can't be. And then comes the solution. And the solution is unusual. Because you'll see in verse 20. While he thought on these things. So he's been meditating for a long time. For some time. It's just He's just been ruminating. You can imagine the sleepless nights Joseph had. While he thought on these things. Here he is trying to sleep. And he's approached By the angel of the Lord, likely Gabriel. And Gabriel is not an archangel. There's only one archangel mentioned in scripture. That's Michael. But Gabriel is obviously a very special angel. And if you know anything about angels, they're messengers. The word angelos, we get our word angel from that, means messenger. Uh, uh, The gospel is the euangelion, the you, the good Angel, angel, message. It's the good message. The word angel means good, the messenger. And here's the messenger bringing the message of God. And the messenger says to him through a dream, By the way, Joseph, this is all of God. So here's the angel of the Lord. It's not Jesus. Mary's already pregnant. And it's through a dream even in Bible times, maybe a bit unusual, but it did happen, and God now is revealing his will through this dream. And the angel says, Do not be afraid to take unto you Mary to be your wife, because that which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. He is the Son of God. Now, if Joseph was blown away by the idea of, of his Really good godly young lady wife to be who's now pregnant That's kind of hard to believe and he says he's struggling then he's having trouble. So he's having trouble sleeping He finally gets to sleep. He now is confronted by an angel and now he's having trouble You know, I'm confronted by an angel now take it a step further. Now the angel is saying to him. Guess what? This is all of God's doing well This is just kind of hard to believe. This is an unusual solution. He's told his wife is carrying the son of God. He is, by the way, interestingly enough, the son of David too. This is the king. I mean, we are not as familiar with David's lineage as they would have been. My grandmother used to tell me we were descended from the kings. I don't know if you're aware of this. We're all descended from kings. The only people who survived in antiquity were the children of kings. If you go back in your lineage far enough, you you go back in your family line far enough, you'll find a king somewhere, I promise you. Somewhere we're all descended from kings. We're all royalty because you were the only ones that got the good food. Everybody else basically starved, just kind of the way it was. Well, here's the real king. And Joseph is just blown away by this. Which is really interesting because even today, the Christmas story challenges our faith. Do you believe this or not? Do you believe that a couple of thousand years ago, a young woman, by God's will and by his power, conceived a child unnaturally, supernaturally, and that child is? The son of God. A few years ago, uh, a man who was pastoring a very large evangelical. I'm going to put that in air quotes. Church up in Michigan published a book about Jesus. And the story, the title of the book was Velvet Jesus. And, he, and the subtitle was something like uh, Repainting Our Faith. Uh, he, he begins the story talking about how his book, talking about how there are two uh, different images of Elvis Presley. You would see, uh, he said, when I was a kid, I'd be driving down the road. We would we would see uh, people selling their art on the side of the road. And there would always be those. Vel- Do you remember in the 70s, those velvet Elvises. Uh, it'd be kind of this. Ve- you were younger. You're going, I, I don't even I don't even know who Elvis is. Some of you are thinking, I, I understand that. OK, this is an older person illustration. But, but they would have young Elvis and old Elvis. You'd have really thin in shape Elvis, and then you'd have, you know, um, Elvis who's eaten too much Elvis. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And he would say, which is Elvis? This is his question, okay? This is how he starts his book. Which is Elvis? Is it young Elvis? Is that Elvis? Or is old Elvis Elvis? Which is a good question. But all of that he would do, and he would say, you look at the story of the Bible, which really is Jesus? Is it Jesus of the Bible, or is there another Jesus who's also Jesus? Well, he then begins, as he's divorcing the reader from the truth of Scripture, he begins to ask a question like this. What would happen if we found uh, unrefutable proof that Jesus was not born of a virgin? This This is his scenario. But he was actually fathered by a man named Steve. What would we do? And then he goes on to say, well, you know, he has what he calls trampoline faith. This is his word. He says he could take a story like that. It'd be fine. His faith wouldn't be rocked at all. But he says, all the rest of you, you have brick wall faith. And if you take out that brick, the wall comes tumbling down. And I read the story and I said, he is exactly right. See, I have true faith. It's brick wall faith. If you take the gospel apart, You know, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He didn't rise from the dead. He wasn't born of a virgin. You start taking those pieces out. Yeah, my whole faith disappears because it's true faith. He has what's called trampoline faith. We call that no faith. It's false. You see, what I'm saying is this. There's only one truth about Jesus' birth. You either believe it or you don't. You either believe he was born of a virgin Or you don't. And if you don't believe that, and I know for a fact the editors of Time Magazine don't believe that, they've published throughout the year stories about Jesus' birth, doing everything they can to tear down the truth of the Bible. I know that liberal theologians don't believe that. They claim that Mary was assaulted by uh, a, uh, what it would today be Germany, uh, a German uh, soldier, Or that she was just a wicked young woman. All sorts of crazy ideas. You either believe it or you don't. And I'm asking you, do you believe it? Because this is part of your faith. Now. Which does bring us to the second point. Because this story is part of the lifeblood of our Christianity. Believing it is at the center of everything we believe. We believe Jesus is the promised redeemer. Look at verse 21. She will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. You take the story apart. If Jesus isn't truly being born of a virgin, then why take the rest of it to be true? Why would anything else be meaningful? He will save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done, that it would be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, a virgin will be with child. She she shall bring forth a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Mary's son is our Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is our Lord Christ. And the angel pronounces these facts. Do you know the first fact that a, the angel pronounces to Mary? Have you ever thought about this? This is the first reveal party in history. I'm serious. It's a boy. She did. She. Uh, I knew. She knew she was pregnant, right? But I, maybe she thought it was a boy. But I guess she didn't fully know. But she says, "You'll bring forth a son." Right? It's a boy. And here's the second fact. His name will be Yeshua. Joshua from the Old Testament. Yeshua, Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. His name means Jehovah saves. He will rescue sinners from their sin. Do you remember what Jesus said when people questioned him why he was on the earth? He said, uh, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He told his disciples a story. How many shepherds having No, 100 sheep and and counting the 99 into the fold finds one to be lost, doesn't leave the 99 and go out into the wilderness to seek the lost sheep. This is what God is doing from the beginning of mankind, from Adam's and Eve's sin in the garden. God has been working his plan to bring his redeemer. When the fullness of time came, God finally brought forth of a woman, Someone, uh, his Messiah, made under the law, but in order to do what? To redeem people from the judgment of the law against them, that sinners could be saved. He's our Savior, and he's fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy of this one who would come. In fact, here we have Matthew quoting Isaiah 7, and there are a few texts in the Old Testament that have gotten uh, more scrutiny than this one. In Isaiah 7.14, you remember the story? Ahaz, the king, he's a faithless king. He'd like, he would like uh, uh, some proof from God. And God says, fine, I'll give you a sign. But he doesn't want to hear the sign. He, he refuses the sign. And so the prophet Isaiah says, okay, fine, I'm going to give... To the house of David a sign, not to you, but to your house. You see, Ahaz, he, he's faithless and wicked. He's, he's going to be cut off, but the Lord himself will give you house of David. He will give to the house of David a sign. Uh, and then he says, a woman will conceive. It, it, the word Hebrew word here, there, there are two Hebrew words uh, for young woman, uh, betulah and Alma, and neither of them mean actually mean virgin. There really isn't a Hebrew word that means virgin. I know that creates problems for a lot of people um, because they look at it and say, well, it's got to be one or the other. And uh, some people argue that Isaiah used the wrong word. But the truth is there is no Hebrew word that perfectly translates as virgin. Now, the one that Isaiah uses is probably the closest you'll get. It means a young woman of marriable age who is also likely to be pure and chaste. The other uses of that word refers to uh, people who are unmarried and who are likely to be pure and chaste. So that's that's likely the best use. Now, it's not completely locked in until you get to Matthew when Matthew uses a Greek word, Parthenos, and that word Parthenos, that Greek word, it comes right out of the Greek translation of the Old Testament And it means, in context, an unmarried woman who is pure. And so, if you're not sure when you read Isaiah, because you read it's a young woman of marriable age who's likely never been with a man, you're not completely sure. When you get to Matthew, you're absolutely crystal clear sure. There is no doubt what God is teaching us about Mary. And there is no doubt what God is teaching us about this birth. This woman is a pure young lady, and this woman is pregnant. And the child will perform an important function. What is he doing? He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. This is the God-man on earth. And, and, and if you thought the whole concept of a virgin birth is difficult, try to wrap your mind around the concept of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Th- this whole idea of Jesus as God-man has stumped theologians for centuries. But we believe it because it's what the Bible teaches. And so this idea that God is with us, That he is fully God and fully man. And Jehovah himself is now on the earth. And his name is of great importance. His name here is a message of judgment on Ahaz, the unbelieving king. Emmanuel is a message of hope for those who are now, who will one day be in exile. The dereliction of Judah to its foreign conquerors the people who will feel deserted by God because God will have left them. God is saying, I will not leave you forever. And I'm giving you a sign. There will one day come, even as the line of David has been reduced down to almost nothing, even when Israel will be subjugated for centuries by foreign powers, first by by, uh, the Babylonians and then by the Persians and then by the Greeks. And then by the Romans, we're talking 400 years or so of of being completely subjugated by foreign powers. At that time, when the light is flickered down to its lowest, he says, and the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and God will be with us. So we believe this. And this is our salvation. This is part of our faith. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose from the dead. It's all part of our gospel beliefs. And we believe this. But And we exercise that belief by responding just like Joseph did. Look at verse 24. Joseph being raised from sleep as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took to him his wife and, G- and, and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son. And Joseph called his name to be Jesus. Joseph obeyed the angelic instructions. He did not put Mary away. He he did not threaten the fatherhood of God over Jesus. So he doesn't put her away, but he but he does not have any husband-wife relationship with her at all. She they are completely pure and chaste until this child is born. And all of this is being done in obedience to the angelic instructions, and he calls his name Jesus. That's the name God chose. What name would Joseph have chosen? I actually know. Do you know what name he would have chosen? It's either going to be Judas or James. And how do you know that? Because those were the names of Jesus's half brothers. Unless you think that Joseph is just thinking, we'll just we'll just kind of. Rhyme names like some people do, you know. We'll start with the first letter. And it probably doesn't even work out that way in their language, right? <laughs> he knew they'll read English someday. And I'll just throw in those J words. Well, I mean, he, he would have named him James or Jesus, Judas or Joseph. Those were the named brothers of Jesus that we know about. His half-brothers. He named him Jesus. Friends, and this is how we should respond. This is how we should respond. We must believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's our belief. But, But we act upon it by doing something. We believe in him for our salvation. And we obey our instructions. This isn't the only instruction in scripture given to man. There's lots of other instructions. And Joseph, as a believer, he gets told by the angel what he must do. And he immediately goes about and does it. He awakes from sleep, it says in verse 24. And he did exactly what the angel of the Lord told him to do. He's obedient. And obedience is the mark of faith. It's the hallmark of believers. It's not enough to say you're a Christian. It's not enough to say you go to church. It's not even enough to say you go to church on Christmas, which people don't do much anymore. That's not even enough. All of that is, is really just kind of a, religious, a religiosity, a kind of a, a practice of cultural Christianity, which, by the way, cultural Christianity is just dying off in America. And, and, and fine, good riddance to it. It's been holding us back for about a century. I want it to die. Let the real Christians stand up and be counted. And this is where we're at. So if you're going to say you're a Christian, it can't be all those things. What must it be? It must be obedience to what God says. And, and so Joseph does what he does. What do, the, what do the shepherds do when they hear? What do they do? They begin publishing abroad. Do, do you realize Luke had sources for his gospel? Luke, Luke is a Gentile. He, he's not Jewish. He's a Gentile author of, of a story that's very Jewish. And, and while he was inspired fully by the Holy Spirit, we believe that uh, his sources he had probably were those who heard from the shepherds firsthand. Yeah, this shepherd, whatever his name was, Shepherd One, you know, that's in the script, Shepherd One. Shepherd One, he told me all about what he saw, and what he heard. And he says, and then later I, I had a chance when I was older to hear from Shepherd Three. Nobody knows what happened to Shepherd Two. Uh, but shepherd three, I heard from him and, and 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 his story was very similar. And, you know, he, he had a different number of animals that were in the bottom floor of the house. But, but there was Jesus and he was in the feeding trough and he was all wrapped up in swaddling clothes. And, yep, that's what I saw. And they published abroad and they went forth praising God, praising God. And friends, this is all part of that obedience that we must have. If you believe it. You must live it. And that's where we're at today. We are living out what we believe. I, I think of all days, Christmas, Sundays, are, are really some of the coolest days we have. I, as I understand it, it won't happen for 11 more years. That's, that's what I was reading the other day. I, I, I just trust the person figured it out. I didn't bother to go check but he said, it's going to be 11 more years till we have a Christmas Sunday again. I wonder how many churches will have a church service on Christmas Sunday in 11 years. Well, if we get another one of these bomb snowstorms, I don't know. But but I, I just say, what a great opportunity because I'm here today really not celebrating Christmas. I'm here celebrating the resurrection. Our Savior is alive. And I believe that, and because I believe that, I'm here. And yes, we're celebrating Christmas. If we were Puritans, we wouldn't be. We'd be out in the fields plowing. Well, it's Sunday, they'd be in church. But if it was any other day, they didn't celebrate Christmas. Christmas actually isn't a biblical holiday at all. In fact, Christmas, it's kind of Catholic. But we, as Bible-believing Christians, we, we see it as a special day too because it's the day our Lord Jesus was incarnate, was born on earth. And we celebrate it, but we celebrate it best by being obedient to him. Last night, I was I was uh, uh, on social media a little bit before I went to bed. And uh, a friend of mine named Dan Forrest, some of you know who Dan is. He's a he's a songwriter. Uh, He's a musician. He's very good. Very, very good. He's a graduate of my alma mater. Uh, He he heads up a group called Beck and Horst Press. We sing a number of their songs. We sing some of Dan's songs here. In fact, our Christmas program that we sang was written by Dan when he was just out of college, uh, a young man. He was excellent then. And and he had published online that Wheaton College had uh, had performed his version of See Amid the Winter Snow. And I, I thought, well, I'd like to see that. So I clicked on it, and it was at a Christmas program, and it was a really nice program. Um, and they... Uh, uh, the, the, the young college students were singing, and it was near the very end of the program. It was the next to the last uh, song of the program. And here's what they sang. See amid the winter snow, born for us on earth below. See the tender lamb appears, promised from eternal years. See within the manger lies he who built the starry skies. He who throned in height sublime sits amid the cherubim. Sacred infant, all divine, what a tender love was thine. Thus to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this. And then this is what they did. Um, As they were singing, they had uh, one of the young uh, uh, college students had a candle. And he was kind of an electric candle. He lit his candle. And then as they sang, uh, more candles became lit. It was very dark in the auditorium. And then they got to the last chorus. And at this point, they all raised their candles in the air. And they sang, Hail, thou ever-blessed morn. Hail, redemption's happy dawn. Sing through all Jerusalem. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Obedience. And that's our testimony. I encourage you, go from here and sing through all your cities, your towns, your villages, your workplace, your, your offices, wherever you are, sing, Christ is born. And he saves us from our sins. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage of scripture that you've given to us today.